Happy Tuesday. Yes. You know, I didn't mention during the radio show, but the other thing that's going on today is at 10 o'clock Pacific time, Apple is holding their phone announcement. It was postponed or backed up for about a month because they uh, they announced a few other things but uh, back in September. But with uh, COVID, they're, they're, the presumption is, is that their production lines and stuff were shut down a little while in China. And so they... Um, uh, are running a little behind on their general fall announcements. And uh, so they expect uh, new iPhones to be announced today. So this is the iPhone 12, you think? Well, yeah. I mean, they're calling it 12, um, you know, presumably because they've changed the body design a little bit. So it's not going to be an, uh, an 11S, even though there was a 10 and a 10S. And then, you know, the following year there was a 7, uh, but there was never a 7S because then they went to the 8 and the 10 simultaneously. So I don't know. It's hard to say what they're going to be calling it officially. But, yeah, that new phone is supposed to be announced today. Rumors have it that there will be four phones announced uh, last time there was last couple times there's been three phones so there's been the pro line usually a small and a large and I say small the small is still pretty big um, and then uh, and then a standard line phone that usually has slightly has the same processor in it but slightly less quality of a camera and a few things like that usually not quite the same quality of a screen but the rumor has it that they're going to come out with an iPhone mini which will be smaller than any of those and it'll be the least expensive of the bunch and that that mini will still have uh, most of the same features and stuff. It's just going to be a smaller screen, which I, I know a lot of people really like. You know, I know some people say, oh, it's hard to see and I don't, you know, hard to, to do Internet browsing and stuff on a tinier screen. But a lot of people just don't want a big chunk of a phone. And, you know, even the basic phone today is about the size of what the max size phone was just, you know, a, a couple generations of phone ago. So... So I understand that. I I had been getting the iPhone Max since the iPhone 6, the larger one, and I very intentionally did not do that when I switched when I finally got my iPhone 11 um uh last year. I said, "Nope, I'm going to I'm going to go to the regular size because it's gotten everything's gotten so big it's uncomfortable and heavy, you know?" Yep. Yep. You know, I mean, if I carried it around in my swim bag and stuff all the time, then I guess I probably wouldn't care as much. But since it's in my pocket most of the time, I, it's just too big and clunky. So, yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah. when I was teaching, I had a student who was very tech literate, and he got one of the big note phones when they first came out. And I remember it looked like he was holding a, a paperback book up to the side of his head to talk. <laughs> And it just looked so weird, and now we're so acclimated to it that his phone, which looked gigantic at the time, it would probably be just a normal phone now, maybe even on the small side. <laughs> yeah, well, back then, you know, it's we, we were getting smaller and smaller into these ridiculously sized flip phones yeah. that were, like, super, they were super tiny. And I don't know, I, you know, it, it got to the point where it's like an adult cannot use this because the, the buttons are so small. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny how we go back and forth, you know, with styles and trends and stuff. You know, that was the days where where the phone wasn't basically an entire thing was a you know slab of glass that was the screen, and batteries lasted for three or four days, which was you know awesome. Uh, yes. 
O-O if only, right? But they were just phones, yeah. That you could text on. Yeah, and text very badly on for the most part, you know. Yes. Uh, They uh, uh, eventually, right after that, then started going to sort of the BlackBerry sort of design, the handspring design. Yes. You know, that ran the Palm OS that was, you know, keyboard at the bottom and a half, half screen, half keyboard. And and then iPhone changed all of that when they said, well, you can have a whole screen and just type on the glass when you need the keyboard. When you don't need it, it's I out of the way. I loved my Blackberries. And I've said this yeah. before. I loved my Blackberries. Yeah. I, you know, I, I loved it, the way it felt in my hand. I loved the, how easy it was to type with my thumbs. I loved my I loved my Blackberry. Yeah. You know, I think that it probably, of all the phones that we've had in the last, uh, you know, two decades the as they became a thing, those probably create the biggest emotional response in people was the blackberries. They even called them crackberries because they were so uh, enjoyable to use and really opened up the world to people. Um, and, you know, I, I know a lot of people when they went to um, uh, well, it's funny because when they went to keyboards, I wasn't sure I wanted a keyboard because I was used to using the graffiti input on my Palm device. And uh, and my first Palm phone was a Kyocera phone that actually didn't have a keyboard. You wanted to write on it. You used the, 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 the stylus and wrote in the little area using their graffiti language. But but then I upgraded to one that had a keyboard. Once I got used to the keyboard, it was like, yep, that's it. All over. Yep. I really liked my, um, my Palm, uh, I think it was a 700 series phone that was very much like a blackberry you know it was like a bar of soap basically with half screen on top and and on the bottom was a keyboard um the thing that the blackberry had that the palm didn't was that little uh ball scroll wheel in the middle that you could then move cursor around i thought that was genius i'm surprised that that hasn't gotten picked up in other places and still used today for some some things because for some things i think that makes more sense but uh yeah, I mean, I like the, the the screens and the way the interfaces work today, but I, I there are things that I think were really nice about some of the older interfaces that didn't get carried over. And, you know, we might be better off if they had. Yeah. I, you know, if, if if only BlackBerry hadn't been so poorly run, the company. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're still around. I don't know what they're doing. But well, I, I, I think they just they, licensed the name. I don't think the actual company still exists anymore. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. If they, Research in if Motion they, was the company, RIM. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, that's right. Yeah, you know, I, I, they just didn't adapt to the changing world. When, when iPhone came out, it changed the paradigm completely for how phones were going to be built. And they didn't adapt to that. You know? And they had an opportunity, but they didn't. They didn't make the right choices. And, and you know, that's... That's life in a capitalistic society. You know, there were the Stanley Steamer was, you know, out selling cars at one point in time. And they, they found out that a steam engine in a car didn't work as well as, you know, burning gasoline did. Um, so, you know, Stanley Steamer sold cars or like vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. Back huh. in the 1912, probably. <laughs> Yeah, when the early cars came out, there was a, a car called the Stanley Steamer, and it was a, a uh, I think the, the carpet cleaning people basically took the name later, because it has yeah. nice, nice alliteration. But yeah, it wasn't, not the same company, but they, uh, there was a Stanley, there was a steam car. There were actually battery-powered electric cars early on as well. They just didn't have sufficient um, strength in the batteries and in the, in the electric motors early on to make it as a competitive product to 
what a fuel burning car could do. You know, it's um, back then too. I mean, what maybe you could go for a while on an electric car, and, but you, they drove really slowly. <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's not something that we would put up with today. We want to drive very fast, and Teslas are very fast. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the technology has changed to make them viable as cars again. You know, um, yes. But they they. For a long period of time, the reason we didn't have electric cars is because they were not very good. The technology wasn't good enough. The batteries, you know, I had to use lead-acid batteries that made the car weigh, you know, 8,000 pounds. Um, and you can't move 8,000 pounds around quickly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, didn't generate enough current and, and have, you know, strong enough electric motors to be able to do it. Largely, it's batteries that have driven it, though. The, the, the improvement in batteries has, has been remarkable and that's you know driven by surprisingly a couple different things people don't think about it but a lot of it was driven by technology developed for space exploration um, the international space station is run off of batteries and solar charging and so a lot of and, and they got to be light batteries because you got to fly them up to space so that you know that drives scientists to figure out new ways to do things um, you know but that's you know a, and it totally our military has has revolutionized the world in that sense because the, the the tech boom of the 90s would not have happened without the military buildup of the 1980s yeah you know pe- people um discount that spending in a lot of ways and in, and in, in some ways it, it is you know it's very it's costly expensive. it is not cheap and i understand that um but very often things like the trip to the moon and and things like you know the military development it creates technologies that we all benefit from later because there's lots of um, multiple uh, you know overlap in terms of the use of these technologies like batteries and like miniaturization of, of electronics and it's not to say that there aren't some commercial reasons those things went forward as well um, but uh, but a lot of that is driven you know it's it's stuff that that electronics companies might say well we'll just keep doing it this way because it works and uh and and the amount of research to figure out how to do it smaller cheaper uh and when i say cheaper i mean more economically in terms of the amount of energy that it might use or need to use those kinds of things aren't always driven by by economics and so that's when you know the the government steps in and says well we need it to be able to do this x y and z and so we're going to yes. fund the development so that we can get it done and and we all benefit from that. So um, it's just it's not, I, a, it's not a tangible thing. It's hard to measure, right? I, I And the world changed in ways that we could not have imagined. And so, you know, we talked about when we're on the radio show, we talked about how Proposition 14 in California is to fund stem cell research. And um, and I made the point and I still stand by it that that if there's money to be made in the stem cell research, private industry will do it. Mm-hmm. Um but the motivation for the stem cell research is is already everybody understands it, right? With this, with the tech boom, um, with the kind of leaps that the giant leaps that happened in the 1990s um, and the early 2000s, uh, we we just rethought, reimagined the way we do everything, the way we live our lives, the way we communicate with each other, the way we uh, purchase our groceries, the way we do everything. It revolutionized everything and you know and that took i honestly believe that it would not have happened without the military buildup it just wouldn't or maybe it'll put another hundred years and it's different because uh then the stem cell research you see what I'm, i'm trying to differentiate the two it's different because i think that biotech companies understand the benefit of um 
this kind of research now because it's, you know, they want to cure diseases that are, that are genetic. And yeah. so, you know, that they, they don't need the government to come yeah. in and tell them that this is a benefit. Yeah. Government intervention is necessary when the cost of entry is too high or there's no obvious payoff. Um, you know, I mean, you think about it, the, the, the internet, the backbone of the internet was basically created, you know, for government communication and not, uh, not necessarily how it's turned out, but that, that infrastructure, that underneath piece is what makes it all work, you know, by connecting all the different networks together. And so, um, you know, and nobody could have dreamed, you know, uh, nobody would have, I don't believe that people back then understood the power of the internet. I don't think they, they understood all that it brought has, has brought to our, our global community. Yeah. I think there were some people involved in it early on who, who had dreams that it would be this wonderful place where you could have free exchanges of ideas and that it would create, it would be this utopia type of, of online world. Um, and I think a lot of those people were maybe not realists in terms of how people behave when they're able to, you know, uh, when the structures were in place for them to be able to, you know, comment without retribution or without fear of, of being, you know, out yes. as to who they are in, in, in the quote real world. Um, <laughs> you know, and so, so the internet has not been that, that wonderful free exchange of ideas that people had, um, necessarily thought about. But, uh, I just found this thing. We were talking about that guy who got chased by a mountain lion. Um, there is a woman who is about 38 years old, Kaylee, uh, uh, I'm sorry, that's her daughter. Um, uh, What's her name? Uh, Chambers is her last name. Is missing in Zion. She went missing six days ago. Um, she went. Uh, here is it. Holly Suzanne uh, Curtier or Curtier. Thirty-eight-year-old um, mother last seen October sixth. Um, they think that she was dropped off by a shuttle at the grotto parking area of the park and was going hiking. Uh, but when the pick when the pickup came at 4.40 p.m., uh, she wasn't there. And so they're looking for her now. Oh, that's yeah, terrible. a little scary. I'm hoping that it's not a um, not a, an issue with mountain lions or something like that or that she hasn't fallen and hurt herself. Perhaps she's just, you know, when you're out hiking, especially if you're by yourself, um, you know, it's it's getting difficult. They said basically that, you know, if she's, she was out hiking, day hiking without food, um, that they're going to continue to search for a couple more days, but they're sort of getting down to the final few days of survival without food. Um, and uh, she's tiny. She's five foot three and a hundred pounds. Her daughter said that uh, she uh, is taking advantage of having been laid off during the COVID thing. Uh, and, and so she bought a van and decided she was going to drive around to national parks and hike um, some national parks and just see, see the world a little bit while she's you know waiting for the economy to pick back up and uh and so they're concerned for her so if you happen to be up in zion uh and you see any signs of anything um you know make sure that you get a hold of a uh ranger and see if we can help find her wow that's so scary her daughter says, I will be on the trails myself, searching for her myself until I find her. Her daughter. That's her daughter speaking. Yep. So, yep. Let's hope that that ends well. Take a dog with you. Yeah. 
they need to walk anyway. <laughs> well, I'm thinking a dog that can sniff around and, and find her. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also saying that take a dog when you go hiking in the first place. Although, you know, national parks have issues with you bringing too many dogs into the park, too. They don't want... Um, you got to bring your little poop pack. Clean up after your puppies. Yeah, you know, I have to say, it's, it drives me crazy um, uh, when people don't clean up after their dogs. It's, you mm-hmm. can, you, there are, in many places, there are trash cans um, nearby. Like, you can scoop up your dog's poop pretty quickly and uh, drop it in a trash can and, yeah. you know, take those little bags with you. They're super cheap. You can keep them in your purse or your pocket or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no excuse. Yeah, no, we've got our, our dogs, one of the three of our dogs, every time he starts walking, we know about where, what area he's in. If we walk the same route, we know right about where he's going to decide he's got to go. It's just, it's just almost like clockwork. And so you got to bring the little bag along and luckily there's trash cans right along the way in that area. So you just stop and drop them into a dumpster. But, uh, yeah, that's that's what pups do they start walking and moving around and they go oh wait a minute you know that moving around helps clear my bowels out thank you very much and that's for us too we just don't do it you know yeah in the road in the road yeah unlike george harrison suggested right why don't you do it in the road was that george harrison i have no idea (laughs) actually you know that might have been um that might have been john lennon i'm not sure who did that song um anyhow yeah let's not talk about pooping in the road (laughs) let's move on to other things let's move on to other things um let's see trump mocks virus as he launches potential super spreader sprint to win re-election huh oh well that's a cnn headline so there you go yeah uh amy comey barrett pushes papers over rift between trump and gop i don't even know what that means do you (laughs) Pushes paper over rift. I that's, don't know what that means. That's what it says. Pushes is papers. That a CNN, over... Is that a CNN headline? No, that's a Politico headline. I, that I, makes I, no sense. Okay, I got to click on it because they just. Okay, Republicans are resisting Trump on stimulus and fear he may sink their Senate majority. Okay, that's the sub headline. Okay, just about the only thing holding Republican Party together right now is Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, you know, it's funny. It's Amy Coney Barrett, and I always want to say Comey, like James Comey. I think that I thought there was an M in there, but there isn't. No, it's, it's an, an N. N. It's an N. N so is a Nancy. Yeah. Amy Coney Barrett, like Coney Island. Um, yes. President Trump's sinking poll numbers are putting once safe Senate seats in play and threatening deeper losses in the House. Republicans are unenthusiastic about defending Trump's handling of the coronavirus pandemic or con- commenting on his latest string of Twitter rants. Uh, that's the line on Politico. Let's see. I, I guess they're just saying that she's okay. I get it. So she's papering over the rift between Trump and the GOP. In other words, that's the one thing that they all are agreeing on is that we want to get her, uh, through the process is what they're trying to say. Okay. But boy, I pushes papers over the rift. Why didn't they say Barrett papers over papering over rift between pushes papers over rift between that does that's just weird wording. It is. Yes. Yay, Politico for making no sense. But they got me to click on it, so they probably got some some money from ads that popped up there. You know, more power to them, I guess. You know, David Crosby upset some Van Halen people. Uh, Why? Because How? apparently uh, he he's fairly active on Twitter, and he's in his late 70s. And so um, 
and, and he, he is a very divisive person. And uh, a Twitter follower asked him about his opinion of uh, Eddie Von, Van Halen, and he replied, meh, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and people lost their minds. And, of course, he's like, eh. <laughs> you know? And so the following day, he went on the Twitter to clarify, and he said, Hendrix changed the world of a guitar. Nobody else really. Look, I get it. Many of you love Van Halen, and the one time I met him, he was nice. He was talented. Met to me means I don't care that much, and, and I don't. It doesn't mean he wasn't good, but he just wasn't for me. Yeah, well, that's still, I mean, the guy just died. It was kind of callous. It really was. You know? Crosby's kind of known for being kind of callous and kind of not. Uh, he, well, let's put it this way. Nobody in the birds will speak to him. Nobody in Crosby, Stills, and Nash, other than Crosby, will speak to him, assuming he talks to himself. <laughs> and, um, and and Neil Young also will not speak to him anymore. Uh, oh, that speaks volumes. At How many times has he been married? At 79, uh, he's only been married once. He's only been married once. And uh, uh, he was deeply in love with a woman who, who was killed in a car crash when he was in his twenties and, uh, and that affected him very, very much. And, uh, he met the woman that he married when he was in rehab and, uh, um, or actually, I guess before they were in rehab, they met and anyhow, they went through rehab together, came out on the other side and are still together. Um, by all accounts, she's a saint. Um, he is a difficult person. He says, he's one of those people who says whatever pops into his mind while he's saying it. And he will tell you that, you know, well, if I said it at the time, I meant it, you know, doesn't mean I mean it now. And, you know, he'll come back and clarify like he clarified. But he was that's still not even his clarification wasn't like a I'm sad at his passing. I met the man once and he was a nice and talented man. You know, that was he didn't even say that. Never even said mentioned feeling sad. He just said, you know, if you loved him, good for you. For me, it was kind of meh. <laughs> That's sad. What a jerk. Yeah, he's kind of a jerk. Um, <laughs> there is an excellent documentary um, called If I Could Remember My Name, which was the, um, uh, or don't don't forget my name. I can't remember now. Um, it was a play on the on the name of one of his albums. His One of his first solo albums was If I Could Remember My Name. Ah. And it is... Uh, I'm trying to get the name of it. Hang it, and I'm hitting 14 wrong keys. Okay, there it is. Um, it's called. Uh, oh, it's just called "Remember My Name." There you go. Um, and yeah, it was released in 2019. I actually went and saw it in the theater because um, I was interested. I think he's an interesting guy. He's not somebody I necessarily like or would like. But um, but he's an interesting guy. And so, you know, it's 90 minute basically talking about him and his life. And and there's a certain amount of sadness there. He's also been um, post Crosby, Stills and Nash releasing albums at a crazy rate. I mean, like one or two a year um, with different artists, young artists that he's been working with um, in an attempt to he just feels like he says there's music in me that hasn't gotten out. And I'm you know, he says, I know my time is limited and I want to get it out of me before I go. Um which, you know, you respect that, but yeah, you, you also wonder why he has upset friends. And I mean, he bent, basically accused Neil Young's uh, current wife, which is Daryl Hannah, 
of being a harlot who destroyed Neil's marriage. I guess Crosby knew Neil Young's previous wife and, and liked her and felt that Daryl Hannah intentionally got between Neil and his wife, which may or may not be the case, but you know, it's kind of tacky to call it out in public. Yeah. You know, and call her names essentially. And so Young said, I'm done with you. You know, life's too short. So, yeah. Well, and I'm sure, I'm sure his wife, I'm sure Daryl Hannah was like, yeah, you're done with him. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and yeah, or at the very least going, why do you hang out with this guy? (laughs) Why do you ever do any, any, any work with this guy? You know? Um, but, uh, it's very interesting because there is archival footage of them talking about each other with Graham Nash, uh, um, Stephen Stills, and Neil Young, as well as Roger McGinn and Chris Hillman. Uh, Henry Diltz is a, a famous photographer. Uh, Cameron Crowe knows them all. He was a producer on this, not the director, but a producer on this, and he's in there. His wife, Jan Crosby, as well as Jackson Brown are in this as well. So there's very interesting people talking about, about their relationships with him and about the music with him. And, uh, you know. Cool. You know, it's, Sounds it's interesting. I'll check it out. It is. It's interesting and it's informational. I mean, uh, there's also arch- archival footage of, of uh, the Everly Brothers and Cass Elliott and Bob Dylan. And, uh, you know, his dad was an award winning um, cinematographer, Floyd Crosby. Um, you know, so Eric Clapton, Gene Clark. These are all people that he, you know, grew up with and knew. Um, so. Wow. So anyhow. Wow. Yeah. So. So. I want to talk about Amy uh, Coney Barrett again. Swing back to that yeah. real quick. Um, she is really frustrating um, the Judiciary Committee, specifically Diane Feinstein, because um, of her answers about Roe v. Wade. And I think her answers are absolutely, absolutely wonderful. She said mm. she was asked by Diane Feinstein, Senator Diane Feinstein of California, do you agree with Justice Scalia, Scalia's view that Roe uh, was wrongly decided? And this this answer is, Senator, I do want to be forthright and answer every question so far as I can. I think on that question, I'm going to invoke Justice Elena Kagan's description, which I think is perfectly put. When she was in her confirmation hearing, she said that she was not going to grade precedent, give a thumbs up or thumbs down. It would be wrong and a violation of the canons for me to do so as a sitting judge. If I express a view on a precedent one way or another, whether I say I love it or hate it, it signals to litigants that I might tilt one way or another in a pending case. Um, frustrated, Diane Feinstein pushed again, framing the question as, as of the most importance for half the population and noting that it was distressing not to get a straight answer. And Barrett reiterated her answer. Pressing for a third time, Feinstein asked Barrett to answer the question as a person, not as a judge. She said, my answer is the same. Uh, it is a contentious issue, but I can't express views on cases or pre-commit to approaching a case any any particular way. Um, I just thought that was absolutely fabulous. That's right. Well, and right especially because she she referenced uh, a, a, a sitting justice who was nominated by Barack Obama. Yes. So, so, you know, she's saying this is an opinion held by somebody regardless of who was being who nominated them and regardless of what you what you might believe their leanings are that yes. this is the appropriate type of response for a justice regardless of the political climate and I think I agree you know it, 
the the there is nothing saying that the any anybody who's being um, vetted by the Senate for any any position has to assist those who are are attacking them in the Senate in in the Senate in that attack. Um, and I say attacking, uh, you know, the, to be fair, there she she's strongly vetting her on an issue that is of great importance to her, um, you know. But her, I thought her answer was absolutely correct. That's right. Absolutely correct. Yeah, as as it um, was for for Justice Kagan. Yes, as it was, and she also um, yesterday was was um, questioned about the role of the of the court, or she was in her opening statement. I don't remember one or the other, and she said, you know, the the court is not there to fix all of America's ills. It is there to judge the law, um, as you know, uh, as it is written. And um, the Cong- it's Congress's job to to fix legislation. And I loved that or to to legislate and something. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but I thought that's perfect. That is 100 percent the role of the court. So I'm really liking what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. I think she's she seems to be an excellent choice. And and as we've said many a time, I, I you know, I don't say that because of of a preference for her being conservative liberal i have a preference for her being an originalist and uh and and you know carefully considering her choices and very often like i said as we have both said previously people who are appointed to the court don't necessarily vote the way that one political party or the other would like them to on any given case and that they can change on different cases based on matters of law exactly and that's and what so they you really hear want. the case that's in front of them yeah they hear what's in front of them and make their decision based on on uh what's what's what what they're hearing and i yeah. that's that's what a judge should do yep yep and that's essentially what she said that's paraphrasing exactly what she said you know she did add further that i you know i shouldn't be talking about it you know my leanings on any particular point with great detail before actually sitting because I don't want people who are coming before me later to presume that they can work me one way or the other. Yes. Is essentially what she said. Um, And that also is absolutely correct. And I love that it was a quote from Kagan. I mean, she couldn't have picked a better judge or rather justice to, to point to and say, you know, here, here's somebody who, who was in a similar position to me, you know, a few years ago. And, uh, and this was her answer, and it was good enough for her. It's good enough for me. Yes. So she's been in office, by the way, since 2010. Uh, Justice Kagan has. So 10 years on the bench. On the bench, yep. So there's an, mm-hmm. a, and of course, certain media outlets are trying to spin this in every negative way possible. So Barrett says she owns a gun, but can rule on Second Amendment fairly, as if her ownership of a gun necessarily means that she won't be fair about the cases that are in front of her, which is ridiculous. Owning a gun is legal in the United States. Right. That that would be like saying, because they don't own a gun, they don't have any standing to make any decisions about guns. Right. I mean, you, you could make that same stupid argument the other way, and it's still yes. a stupid argument. It's still a stupid argument. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and of course, Keith Olbermann is back. Hey, and- our buddy Keith. Oh, God, he is just vile. 
You know, it's he, funny because he used to be like a he, he did like some um, uh, sports announcing type of stuff. And when he was doing that kind of stuff, kind of like the guy. But as he's gotten more into the political arena, which has been the last you know decade. Um, yeah, he's been horrible. So, you know, he he's a he's all for locking them all up. Anybody who disagrees with him politically, he wants them uh, prosecuted and convicted and removed from our society. That's his quote. And he's, he uh, ranted in a new YouTube video. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's freedom. We, that's freedom. Way to go, buddy. Yeah, exactly. We don't do that in our country. Thank you very much. We don't have political prisoners and gulags. Yeah, yeah. He he was on ESPN Sports Center. He was a host of Sports Center from 92 to 97. And that's kind of where I remember. And then he did uh, Fox Sportsnet uh, and was in, and was a baseball um, announcer on Fox <laughs> And so, yeah, I remember him in his sports days and I was like, yeah, as a sports announcer, he's fine. Um, he has he has, you know, since those days moved on from sports into the sport of politics. And, yeah, I'm not a fan of him as a as a political commentator in any way, shape or form. I can't believe he actually said that. And the quote goes on. Trump can and must be expunged. The hate he has triggered, the Pandora's box he has opened. They will not will not be so easily destroyed. So let us brace ourselves. The task is twofold. The terrorist Trump must be defeated, must be destroyed, must be devoured at the ballot box. And then he and his enablers and his supporters and his collaborators and the Mike Lees and the William Bards and the Sean Hannity's and the Mike Pence's and the Rudy Giuliani's and the Kyle Rittenhouse's and the Amy Coney Barrett's must be prosecuted and convicted and removed from our society while we try to rebuild it and rebuild the world, Trump has nearly destroyed by turning it over to a virus. Wow. <laughs> he threw an Amy Coney Barrett at the end there, right? Because, like, what has yeah. she ever done to him? Well, and Kyle Rittenhouse is a 17-year-old kid. <laughs> kind of an, He's not an operative. He's a 17-year-old kid. Yes, but he's been brainwashed. We need to reprogram him. Send him to a re-education center. Yeah, okay. Jeez. Wow. Wow, <laughs> yeah. Keith. You're nuts. Even if nuts. I agreed with you, and I might on a few ob sub subjects, but in general, that's loony. Yes, Absolutely it is loony. loony. Holy moly. Yeah, and they call Trump a fascist. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. What do you do God. when your choice is between Hitler and Stalin? You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What do you do? What do you do? So, yeah, I wish he would go away. Crawl back under the rock from whence he came. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, but, you know, he, he, even at that, we're not calling for his, you know, prosecution expungement from society. I mean, it's like, just leave us alone. That's what we yeah. say, you know. No, I just, just want him alone. to be anonymous. I want him to go back to being a regular citizen yeah. and not bloviating on the air. That's all. Yeah. But I'm not doing anything about it. I'm not saying anybody should arrest him. I'm just saying. Right. Right. I don't want to listen to it. Yeah, but that puts us on his list. I'm sure we would be those who would be expunged if he were running the show. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Great. That is just it's it's yeah, that that talk is so so inflammatory, so out of touch with reality of hum, just of, of a, a sense of humanity. That's terrible. Yes. Really is. It really I'm, is. And I'm not saying Trump hasn't said things that I would say the same thing about, because I'm not well, a particular you, fan of Trump either. But um, you have called him out for those things, Todd. So, yeah. you know. 
Yeah. You, you, we have talked about some of the vile things Trump has said on the air. Yeah. Um, and now well, we're talking... I'm talking about a vile thing that Olbermann said on the yeah, air. Yeah, just lest that anybody say, hey, well, you know, you're you're just a, a shill for Trump because, you know, neither of us are. Neither of us are fans of the man, um, uh, you know, but that doesn't mean that he should be wiped out and expunged. Right. Wow. Right. Wow. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, you know. Maybe we'll get a a vice president trying to drop his own country and march off to his own beat of his own drum or something, you know, because that's happened before. Or, uh, you know, a former president will run against him and split the party because yes. that's happened before. In 1912. <laughs> yeah. You know, or, you know, I mean, it, it, and, I, and I say that with no sarcasm at all. These things have happened before. You know, look at your history. Um, Thomas Jefferson's vice president. uh was making plans to break off from the United States and start his own country in the Louisiana territories. Um, in 1912, former president Theodore Roosevelt ran against sitting president um, and cost him reelection. That would be Taft. Taft, William Howard Taft, who, who, which then brought in um, uh, Woodrow, Wilson. Woodrow Wilson for all of World War One, and, and offered up the, the, presidential seat to the opposing party because he couldn't stand the fact that, you know, Taft wasn't doing exactly what he was telling him to do when he was president. And it's like, really? You know, he got elected. He gets to do what he wants. Um, and as we pointed out, Ben Taft ended up being uh, Supreme Court justice a few years later. So, you know, you never know. So I have a very sad story and I'm confused about it in, from Denmark. COVID threatens to wipe out their entire mink industry. They're going to murder, they're not murder, they're animals. They're going to kill two and a half million animals, um, minks, uh, because of a, a coronavirus outbreak. So Dana, Danish veterinarians and farmers have begun calling at least two and a half million minks in Denmark after the coronavirus showed up in at least 63 farms. So well, That's interesting because we just read about they killed like, what, 10,000 minks in Utah, I think it was, uh, because of a coronavirus um, yes. outbreak. They didn't kill them. They died of the coronavirus. But in that article, they had indicated that they didn't feel like the coronavirus could go from the mink to a human. But the question would be, if it went from a human to a mink, why couldn't it come back? Yes. So um, minks are so cute. They're little fuzzy mm -hmm. weasels. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so the administration in Denmark Frozen said that weasels. Breeds... That doesn't sound cute. No, but the weasels <laughs> but they are, are cute. Weasels are cute. Yeah. People have pet, pet ferrets. Yeah. They're, I would say they're know. like they're like really, really, really soft ferrets. In fact, the reason they're raised is because their fur is so soft. Yes. But wow. Yes. So administration said breeders with non-infected minks will get 100% compensation, while those with infected animals will receive less as an incentive for farmers to keep the infection out of their herds. Um, Denmark is among the largest mink exporters in the world and produces an estimated 17 million furs per year. Wow. So that just makes me sad. It hmm. just makes me really sad. They're going to go, they're going to euthanize all of those animals. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, um, I wouldn't wear a fur. So, although I say that and I do wear leather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I am surprised 
um, you know, I'm sure that they're doing what they believe is the safest thing for the health of the people uh, there. But that, that, you know, it's very sad. And it's also very curious that suddenly in two days we've had multiple articles about mink being a, a transmission vector. Maybe they just started testing them. Yeah, I don't know. Or they just started dying because they were catching it. But it makes you wonder if there's, you know, a mutation in or, that has happened in order for them to catch it. But, you know, why would they both both in Utah and Denmark? It's not like they're adjacent to each other. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Again, we don't know everything we think we know about this virus yet, <laughs> which yep, is, we you know, we're still learning new things about it, you know. Yep. And uh, so it's true. Science so marches are, on. Yeah, we we're out of time. Out of time. So thank you for joining us. I'm Todd Brinker. And I'm Aaron Brinker. Have a great day, everyone. We'll check you out tomorrow. Or you'll check us out tomorrow. <laughs> Somebody will get checked out sometime. <laughs> and we're checking out. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>